Today we're going to talk about something that if you're a Christian and you're not, or you're not a Christian, you'll struggle with at some point in your life. This is not a religious thing. This is not an irreligious thing. This is a universal thing. Every person on earth will struggle with what we talk about today. It's guilt. It's shame. All of us, all of us, have had to deal with emotions of guilt and of shame. I remember, I remember I was in the third grade, Mr. Russell's class. I'll never forget Mr. Russell. Uh, Robert, you were in that class with me, right? Yeah, 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 me and Robert were in the same class. And so Robert might remember this. There was a kid by the name of Milky. I can't forget Milky's name because of what happened next. So, um... Uh, uh, Mr. Russell wasn't there. There was an English teacher who would come in. You know how, like, you know, they would give the teacher a break. So, so the, the English teacher came in, and this poor kid who was like a foreigner, his name was Milky, and and I'm I'm kind of ashamed to share this with you. Um, I he couldn't get like a particular thing. I don't remember what it was, but he couldn't say a particular word or something like that. And and the teacher said, Edwin, come up and help Milky. That was a bad idea because I, I wasn't in, you know, I wasn't in the position to help, and I was, I come from an abusive family, and so I don't know how to help anybody other than physical violence, and so it was bad. So you could see where this is going, and so I was like, <laughs> I laugh because it's so terrible. I, I, I'm sure that Milky will never forget me. Um, I said, hey, Milky, say whatever it was, you know, say ABC. And so I said, say it. And he wouldn't say it because, you know, he's in front of the class now. He's embarrassed and all that. And he goes, I said, say it. And, I, and then I screamed, say it, say it. And then I slapped him in the face really hard, really hard. Robert, do you remember this? It's terrible. Raymond brings it up to me at least every two years. <laughs> Raymond was in my class, too. He goes, it was terrible. Isn't that terrible? It was really bad. Like, that's a scar that leaves, right? I would think about that for years afterwards and just feel terrible about that. That's something to feel guilty about. Like, that was horrible. Here's this poor kid. He's a, he's a foreigner. He just came in. And he... But before you get caught up on my guilt and my shame, I have a suspicion that you have stories, too. I have a suspicion that if I pass this microphone to the person sitting in your seat, you'd be able to confess some things that we would all go, whoa, that's bad. We all do. We all do. It's a universal thing. And so I'm a mess. You're a mess. It's cool. We, we can sit here and, and talk about that. But then the question is, how do we deal with this stuff? Because it's real. Well, there's a couple of ways we can, we can deal with it. One is to excuse it or act like it doesn't exist. This is a popular way of dealing with our guilt. Excuse it or act like it doesn't exist. So I could excuse that situation uh, by simply saying, hey, I was young, I was physically abused. It was the only way I knew how to respond. Uh, the teacher, bad idea for the teacher, like he should have known better, right, you know. Um, there's a couple of ways I could have done. Or, or I could not just excuse it, I could go, well, it's silly. I'm able to do whatever I want to do 
and you're not bound to any rules or any authority in life. You're your own man. Just behave the way you want, and if other people can't handle it, tough nuggies for them. And so I bring this up because this is exactly how we deal with guilt. So we cheat on our spouse, and we say things like, well, you don't understand. Our spouse wasn't meeting our need. They weren't meeting. You know, we excuse it. Or we say, well, listen, this idea of just being one man, one woman in holy matrimony, this is a socially constructed thing, and I can't possibly be held to that standard. I'm going to create other standards. I'm going to create a new standard for myself. But both of those don't work. Both of those don't work because there's something in us that still says there's something wrong. There's something wrong. Wrong. So how do I deal with my guilt or my shame? Well, in the last few weeks, we've been in a series called Throughway. And basically, the series has been uh, how to get through our emotions. What is God's way for getting through our emotions? And so we've dealt with all sorts of emotions. We've dealt with grief. We've, we're, today, we're going to deal with guilt. And two things we've said about emotions. There are two ways that we can address them. One is that we can, if we're, there's a religious way of dealing with our emotions, and that's simply to stuff our feelings. Pretend they don't exist. Act like they're not there. And if we do that, by the way, this is the religious way of doing it. This is me. This is what I do. I act like it doesn't exist. I pretend it's not there. That's the first way we can deal with our emotions. Stuff our feelings. And it'll make you sick. It'll kill you. It'll send you to an early grave. Like it's worse than smoking cigarettes. It really has a bad effect on your body. But there's another way. And this is the irreligious way or the secular way. The, the irreligious way or the secular way to deal with your emotions is simply to vent them and let them identify you. So you vent your emotions and you feel like you've dealt with them properly. And so... That's the way we do it. And that is, it's just not, it's, it's not true. It's not real. Venting our um, emotions doesn't mean that we've dealt with them at all. And so we can't stuff them because that's not the answer. And we can't vent them because that's not the answer. So there's, well, how do we deal with our emotions? Well, God says that this is a third way. And the third way is we pray our emotions, not pray for our emotions. We pray our emotions. Do you see the difference? We don't just pray for, hey, God, I'm feeling depressed. Could you take the depression from me? Hey, God, I'm feeling anxious. Could you take the anxiety from me? Hey, God, I'm feeling guilty. Could you take... See, it's not just praying for our emotions, although that's not a bad thing. I wouldn't... I wouldn't I wouldn't tell you not to do that. But we're, what we're talking about in this series is praying through our emotions. And so what we've been doing is we've been taking a psalm and taking an emotion and then praying through that emotion. Not just, God, take the guilt from me, but, God, how do I deal with this guilt in your presence? How does the gospel help me to address this guilt? How does the gospel change my heart while addressing this guilt? Now, Let's define some terms. So we're talking about two things and how to deal with them. It's guilt and shame. And so 
we have to ask ourselves, what on earth is guilt and shame? And simply put, guilt is breaking a rule, and shame is an identity you have. Or if you want to put it in a simpler way, guilt is what you do, shame is who you are. Guilt is what you do, shame is who you are. So do you see that? Guilt is breaking a rule. So, so let me see. Sh guilt is what you do. So let's see. I stole a piece of chocolate from the store. Okay, that's guilt. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. What a terrible thing to do. Gosh, it was just a small store. What, you know, what is that? Don't, wh why'd you do that? that? That wasn't the right thing to do. That's guilt. By the way, not all guilt is bad. Guilt is not necessarily a bad thing. If you do something bad, you should feel guilty. Like I remember there was, um, uh, I forgot, it was a psychologist and he was talking about depression and he was talking about this person who he was, um, you know, treating and the person was in a, you know, they were going to be in jail and they were going through a severe depression. He was talking to them and the guy was saying, well, the, you know, I feel depressed. He goes, well, why do you feel depressed? And it turns, you know, he's in jail because he murdered his wife and his child. Yes, there should be a tremendous amount of guilt when, you know, that, that's exactly how you should feel. You know what happens when you do something wrong and you don't feel guilty? You know what we call those people? Sociopaths. The person who does something wrong and does not feel guilty about it, we call that person a sociopath. And you don't want to be around a sociopath. So what do we do? So, it's, so there's guilt. That's what we do. But then there's shame. And that's more like who we are. So sh guilt says, you shouldn't have stole that chocolate you know, candy. Shame says, you're a thief. You'll always be a thief. You're just a thief. That's what you are at heart. It's an identity of who you are. Shame shapes how you think of yourself. Shame has to do with not attaining or reaching a standard. So if you're, you're single, say guilt, gosh, I wish I was, I wish I was married, I wanna have kids and, and, you know, uh, and give my parents some grandchildren, you know, and that's like guilt, gosh, I wish I was. Shame is, I am not married, marriage material. Nobody will ever love me. I'm damaged goods. You see, Guilt has to do with what you do. Shame has to do with who you are. Today, we want to pray through these emotions because they're sure to come. They're sure to affect us. Now, if you don't, if you don't pay attention to today's sermon, you're going you're gonna to put a burden on your relationships that can strain them to the point of breaking. If you don't listen to today's sermon, what you're going to do is you're going to miss out on the opportunity to seeing your guilt and shame be turned into forgiveness and glory. And so we gotta, we, we wanna pour into this text. God knows that we're gonna suffer. God knows that the person sitting in your seat wearing your shirt will struggle and wrestle with this. So he's given us over and over and over again in the scriptures a way to deal with our guilt and our shame. Now. There are many here, and, and I just want to say this, that you'll use this sermon as a 
I don't know, like a weapon to bludgeon people, to getting them to, you know, what I mean is like, say for instance you're in a marriage and there was an infidelity, and I'm talking about this and how to pray through our guilt and how to find our solution in the gospel, and here's what you'll do. Your, your spouse will bring up, you know, you really hurt me. When you did that, you just devastated me. And because, because at that moment we're totally selfish and we just don't want to deal with the pain that we've caused another person, what we'll do is we'll go, well, I don't know. You didn't hear what uh, Pastor Edwin preached on, on Psalm 130? If you didn't forgive me, I don't have this guilt. I'm not walking around. I've been washed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you don't forgive me, that's your problem. You deal with that. But I've been liberated. And to you, I would just say, I would just say that's demonic. That is demonic, and, it is, and, and you're, you're doing more damage. And so this is not a message to get other people to sort of strong arm them, and you will, you will not treat me like a guilty person. People will treat you the way they want to. This isn't for them. This is how you relate, how you deal, how you address guilt and shame in your own life, not to force it down anybody else's throat. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So we're going to look at Psalm uh, 130 today. We're going to look at the whole psalm. It's only eight verses. But here's the big idea for today that I want you to know, and it's a very simple big idea for you to remember. It's only God can get rid of guilt. All the other issues, all the other ways that you'll try to get rid of guilt will be insufficient. Only God can get rid of guilt. You can, listen to me, you can do any one of the things that we've talked about. You can try to cover your guilt by doing really, really nice things for people. You know what I mean by cover your guilt, right? So you, you weren't a good parent to your first kid, but your grand, you know, to your kids, but your grandkids, you're really going to do good by them. Because what you're trying to do is you're trying to cover your guilt. Hey, you weren't faithful before, but now you're uber faithful because, you know, you're trying to cover your guilt. That's a way of self-justifying yourself that won't work. It won't work. So that's, that's one way you can deal with guilt. Another way is you can just, again, lower the standards. Act like they're not there. Just say, well, you know what? This is an old book. And, and you know what? This is why I don't like religion because there's old traditional values. I, I, I don't like religion because they're old traditional values that I don't want to submit to. The fact is, it's the 21st century. Why should I feel guilty if I have sex with somebody? Why should I feel guilty if I do drugs on occasion? Why should I, why should I feel guilty if I lie? If my lie didn't hurt anybody. This is just antiquated morality that I want nothing to do with. The problem with that thinking is that you'll still walk around with this sort of under-the-surface uh, feeling like something's not right. And because you don't have, you're not um, referring to God's word or you're not submitting to God's word, you, know, you won't know why. And let me tell you something. The worst thing in the world, one of the worst, that's not the worst thing in the world, but it's um, something terrible to have in our existence is a feeling of guilt without being able to understand what we're guilty about. You know, just this feeling, it's just like we feel it in our belly. 
but we don't know why, because we stopped using God's standards a long time ago. At least in traditional culture, at least in religion, we have this concept where at least we know what God wants. But when you're the inventor, let's face it, when we put our own standards, those are moving. Those are moving goals, aren't they? Right? Like, I remember when I was a kid, I said, I would never do that. I would never do that. And then I did it, and you know what I did? I said, all right, yeah, I did that, but I would never do that. And then I did it, and then you know what I would say? I was going, well, well I would do that, and that. that's understandable. You have to understand my story. But for real, I would never do that. And what you wind up doing is you wind up creating, it's a moving target. Walking in freedom, joy, morality, it's a moving target. So let's go to God's word, and let's find out what God says about how to deal with this emotion that's going to affect all of us, guilt and shame. Now, the big idea, what is the big idea today? Anybody remember what it was? Only God can get rid of guilt. Let's say it together. Only God can get rid of guilt. With that, would you please stand as we read God's word? On the count of three, we'll read it together. It's such a powerful psalm. One, two, three. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that we can, with reverence, serve you. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for the Lord's unfailing love and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. This is God's word. Please have a seat. Now, I know that if you're here, there's a few of you I'm dealing with, right? Some of you, you know, you, you just, guilt is not an issue of life. You're like those people that I talked about. You just change the standard to your own. There's some of you, who are so filled. Um, listen, there are some moms and dads right here in this room who cannot get over how badly they raised their children. And, and you can tell them, oh, but don't worry, God loves you. It's okay. And they can't hear you. They can't get over how they treated their parents. And you go, but God has forgiven you. His, the gospel says that he died for that. They're like, I don't care. It's too, and so if your heart is broken, I, my prayer, my prayer is that this would be like a medicine for your soul. And so we know that only God can get rid of guilt. Only God can get rid of guilt. But then the question is, okay, so how does he do it? And this psalm gives us four ways that God addresses, God, four ways by which God gets rid of our guilt. And it's a, it's a cry, it's a trust, it's a wait, and it's a hope. It's a cry, it's a trust, it's a wait, 
and it's a hope. Here's how God gets rid of guilt. It's a cry, it's a trust, it's a wait, it's a guilt. Let's look at the first one. First of all, we need to cry out to the Lord. There's your cry. Cry out to the Lord. You see that in verse 1 and 2? Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. Now, there's a couple of things that I want to say because this is so powerful. This person is crying out to God from the very depths of his guilt and the very depths of his shame. He says so. He says, out of the depths. He's actually using a term that you would use for the ocean. You know, like when you go deep enough into the water, yeah, have you seen pictures of this where you go deep enough into the water and you go deep enough that even, even sunlight can't get in? And it's like you can't see the hand in front of your face. It's utterly and completely dark. This is important because many of us think that the only time that we can cry out to God is when we're on the uptick. So we've messed up, right? We've blown it. And now... We, we stay away from God. We feel terrible. There's guilt. There's shame. There's horror feelings. And what we do is we say, I can't cry out to God now. Look, I'm in the depths. I'm in the midst of it. And God would say, no, don't wait till your marriage is fixed before you start crying out to me. Cry out to me while your marriage is broken. Don't wait while your heart is fixed to cry out to me. Cry out to me while your heart is broken. Don't wait till you feel better about your guilt and your shame. Cry out to me when you're at your most guilty. And out of the depths, and God puts that in there because he knows that there's going to be a desire for each one of us to run from him when we're in the depths. Don't do it. Don't do it. Cry out to the Lord. I love what he says here. Out of the depths, I cry to you. And look at what he says in verse 2. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. Now, listen. He didn't say, let your ears be attentive. Listen. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for help. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for a solution. Let your ears be attentive. To no, 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 none of those. He says, have mercy. You know why he says that? Because he knows he's guilty. You see, going to God and pretending you're not guilty is a fruitless endeavor. Why would we do this? Listen, it's when, when, when Satan comes in and shares with my heart and says, Edwin, you know you're a bad father. Look at what you did, man. Look at what you did. Look at what you did. I go, hallelujah. God loves and forgives bad fathers. And then I go to Jesus. I say, Jesus, this is true about me. Satan didn't accuse me of something that wasn't true. That was true about me. How can I become a more loving father? How can I become a better father? How can I, Lord, would you change my heart? Would you give me your heart, the father's heart? Would you change my heart like that? But when we, but when we ask for mercy, when we go to him for mercy, we first of all say, hey, listen, this is true about me. I'm not trying to talk myself out of it. I'm not going to look and listen, man, I'm not making fun of anybody, but I'm not going to look in the mirror and tell myself I'm good when I'm not good. I'm not going to say affirmations to myself that are simply untrue because and then the self-deception just leaves me with a low-grade frustration. 
No. The first, remember we said we're going we're gonna to cry, we're going to trust, we're going to wait, we're going to hope. Here's the first one. We're going to cry out to the Lord. So how does, how does that look like in our prayer life? Remember, we said we're not going to pray about our emotions. We're going to pray our emotions. So, so we're going to go, God, I'm totally guilty. I messed this marriage up. It, it's my fault. I, and I wish you just give me mercy. Before we go to solutions, before we go to help, before we go to, because I'm going to go to help, and I'm going to go to solution, and I'm going to go, listen, but before we get there, before we get there, I want you to know I'm a hypocrite, and I just need mercy. I need to be reminded that you haven't forgotten that you are a merciful God. Got to cry out. First we cry, and then we trust. So we cry out to the Lord. Then we trust in the Lord. Verse 3 and 4. Look at what verse 3 and 4 says. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? Do me a favor. Answer that question. Who could stand? Could it be you? If God kept a record of wrongs, who could, in other words, who could go up to God in a proud way and say, look at me, I'm flawless? Who could do that? I couldn't do it. You couldn't do it. God sees everything. It's not that God doesn't see or that God doesn't know, but that he sees and he gives mercy. He sees and he forgives. He sees and he gives himself. He gives himself. We have to trust in the Lord. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that we can, with reverence, serve you. That's huge. So let's look at this. But with you, there is forgiveness. Can you, let me ask you something. You know how many times I've gone, well, before I ask you, you know how many times this has happened? I've gone up to somebody, and it's in counseling. And I go, man, do you know the gospel? The gospel forgives. I mean, really forgives. Like, forgives down to your toes. It's a big, big, big forgiveness. And, and the person says, listen, I get it. I get it. God can forgive me. But, you know, I can't forgive myself. I go, okay. Listen, the, the, the problem with that person at that moment is that they don't understand the depths. They don't trust God. They trust their emotions. They don't understand. We think that that's a humble statement. It's not. It's a proud statement. It's saying that your opinion about you is greater than God's opinion about you. Beloved, God's opinion about you is greater than your opinion about you. You think you're a lousy, dirty, rotten scoundrel? Well, if you're in Christ, and by the way, you might be right, so run to Jesus. And so if you, but, but if you are, but if you are and you're in Christ, he goes, hijo, hija, son, daughter. That's what he says. And let me tell you something. When, when, you, when you love your kids, when you love your spouse, like, like with my wife, like, you can't say anything bad about my wife in front of me. You can't, because she's my wife. And so I don't care what she's done. You can't, you can't attack her. You can't, you, can't, you can't do that. God feels the same way about me. See, Satan's name is, that's the very definition of Satan's name. It means accuser. And so, and so, 
when Satan accuses my own heart and he accuses you unto God. God goes, that's my son. That's my daughter. We can trust that. We don't have to trust our emotions. We don't have to trust our past. We don't have to trust our, we don't have to trust our moral standings. We can, we can be broken over. We can weep. Remember, we started with the cry. We can weep over our guilt. It's true. I did do that. It was terrible. And then we can trust. We can trust. We can trust that the Lord gives forgiveness. But now, Let's pause for a second, because this verse, remember, we're praying through our emotions. We're praying through our emotions, and Satan at every turn wants to lead us to, Satan at every turn wants to lead us to Satan. And so, it says this, but with you, all right, we're going to read verse four together. I want you guys to read this, and then when you see so that, I want you to say so that as loud as you can. Can you do that? All right, so let's read verse four together. But... With you, there is forgiveness so that we can, with reverence, serve you. Let's do that again. But with you, there is forgiveness so that we can, with reverence, serve you. The reason I bring that up and I highlight that so that is because I can't tell you how many people I'm around who say, you know, God has forgiven me, so I'm going to go back to my vomit. God has forgiven me, so I'm going to go back to my sin. God has forgiven me, so I'm going to, hey, listen, God has forgiven me, so I'll go back to my, to the, to the very thing that brought me the shame in the first place. Excuse me while I drink. Excuse me while I, uh, while I do what I do. Excuse me while I go back to my own private sin. That's not why the forgiveness is there. The forgiveness is not to empty your slate so that you can add to your slate. The forgiveness is there because he's merciful and good so that with reverence we can serve you. It would be something else if your spouse cheated on you. That would be terrible. But if you forgave them, and since you forgave them, they said, well, since you acting like I've never done this, I guess I got one in me. Let me do it again. That would be a horrible, would you not agree that that would be a horrible thing? Because love and forgiveness shouldn't be abused. And yet, there are many people who find the grace of God and they find it so beautiful and find it so wonderful and they use it as a, they use it as a, as a reason a foundation for more gross sin. Brother, sister, Edwin, what are you thinking? This is not what the forgiveness is for. We trust his forgiveness. We don't trample his forgiveness. We trust his forgiveness. We don't turn traitor on his forgiveness. Good night. Why would we do this? I know why. Because when we don't see the gospel, when we don't see God's grace, when we don't see him as beautiful and wonderful, we don't see that, listen to me, sin is not breaking a rule. Sin is breaking God's heart. There's a difference. Sin is not breaking a rule. Sin is breaking God's heart. Rules might be made to be broken, but not hearts. Hearts 
Hearts are made to be treated quite delicately. So the first thing we do is we cry out to the Lord. Right? We're feeling guilty. God, this is true about me. Have mercy on me. This is, I'm not trying to make excuses. I'm not trying to say she didn't satisfy. You know, my wife didn't meet my needs, and that's why I had to go out or why I had to do this. Or the, you know, I'm not trying to make any excuses. God, this, this is true about me. I'm going to cry out first. Then I'm going to trust. Trust that forgiveness is in you. But that forgiveness is in you, not so that I could go back to my sin. Forgiveness is in you so that with reverence, with reverence. You know what reverence is, right? If I, if, I have a, if I have a vase, right, and it's a $10,000 vase, right, and I put it right here, you would all treat it with reverence, right? You would all go, ooh. And if your kid went to touch the vase, you would go, hey, don't touch that vase because we're treating it reverently. We've put it on a pedestal. We've said, this is very grand indeed. Well, with God, we do the same thing. We go, God, I can't believe you have forgiven me. You have done an incredible work of giving the gospel into my life so that I walk around with glorifying you, and you sent your son, and he took on my shame. Whoa, that's holy. That's, that's, that's special. That's something other. It's, 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 so we cry out. Remember, this is a prayer, guys. We cry out. We admit, confess where we are. We trust the Lord that his forgiveness is true and good and pure and enough. Then thirdly, remember we said we're going to cry, we're going to trust, and we're going to wait. Wait on the Lord. We see that in verse 5 and 6. Wait on the Lord. Verse 5 says, I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. In his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Here, I want us to read this together, okay? And every time you see the word wait, I want you to scream it out. Every time you see the word wait, I want you to scream it out. We'll read these two verses together, okay? Verses five and six. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. There's a lot of waiting there. Can I tell you that Christianity is not, it's not a microwave walk with God? I just want to speak into this because some of us feel, but we feel guilty feelings for years. Because what I'm telling you right now, what I'm telling you, what I'm sharing with you right now, you think, oh, I know, I'm going to pray this tomorrow and all my guilty feelings are going to go. And I just go, nah, you, you missed the third point. It was wait. We wait. Sometimes it takes a while for this truth to get into our hearts because the fact is is that we've been breathing, inhaling, taking in lies about guilt and shame, about our sins and our actions. We've been taking them in for our entire life. Some of us for decades have been taking in and it just doesn't change all of a sudden. We wait on the Lord, but it's an active waiting, like watchmen in the night. Do you see that there? 
He says it twice. He says, you see that at the end of verse um, 6? He goes, I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Number one, he's using the term watchman because it's an active thing. When you're a watchman on a wall, you're protecting a city. This is not a passive waiting. But you know what the watchmen wait for in the end? They wait, especially at night, they wait for the sun to come up. And believe me, they're alert. They're intent. They trust. They know that the sun is going to come up. Beloved, we've got to wait. And know that the Son of God is going to stir our affections to see him as glorious and beautiful and wonderful. But we've got to wait. And I'm telling you, this doesn't happen for many of us. Some of us, and you know what? It, it's, it's our bad. It's my bad. Because for years, we put people up here to give testimonies who were only like flawless winners. They could, everything went right. The cancer got healed. The marriage got reconciled. The children turned back to Christ. And we gave testimonies like this. But let me tell you something. Life is messy. Life is really messy. And sometimes there's a waiting in the 90s and then waiting in the first 10 years of the 21st century, and then waiting in the teens. And sometimes you can wait and wait and wait and think, how long, O oh Lord? Why do you think that's in the Bible when the, when the psalmist cries out, how long, O oh Lord? Because there's a waiting that takes place. You go, but I feel lonely. I feel terrible. I feel, I feel like I want to act that again. Wait. But I still have the temptation to go back to Wait. But I have, listen, for they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall run, um, fly on the wings of eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Wait on the Lord. And as we wait on the Lord, what's going to happen is, is that you are going to grow in trust and dependence on Jesus. Do you know what that looks like? You grow in trust and dependence. You go, God, I'm waiting on you, but I trust you. I'm waiting on you because I trust you. I'm waiting on you because I've cried out to you because I trust you, and now I'm waiting. I'm not, I'm not putting you on my timeline. No, 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 no. I've done that before. That didn't end so well. I'm putting, listen, I'm on your timeline. Lord, if I have to walk around with this ache in my heart, if I have to walk with this until I see you in glory, then it will be a good day when I see you in glory. But what I'm not going to do is I'm not going to flee. What I am going to do is I'm going to wait. Are you with me? All right, lastly. So remember, what we're talking is only God, only God can get rid of our guilt. And how does God get rid of our guilt? What is the process that God takes us through to get rid of our guilt? We cry, we trust, we wait, and then lastly, we hope. Hope upon the Lord. Look at that in verse 7. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. I love this. The psalmist 
looked forward to what you and I get to reflect back on. Did you hear that? The The psalmist looked ahead to what you and I get to look into the past and think and meditate on. The psalmist says, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full, what's the next word? Redemption. Redemption. Now, listen to me. This is good. The psalmist, how could, let me ask you something. How could we, a sinful people, go to a perfect holy God? How can we do that? Why don't we burn up? Why aren't we like a fly to a flame? Why don't we just burn up? Because he's holy. He's white hot in his holiness. How do we even get the ability to cry out to God? Why would we even be able to trust that he would do anything other than strike us dead for all of our transgressions and all of our sins? Why would, why would we even hope, I mean, um, wait on the Lord? How, where would we get that idea that we could wait on the Lord? You, you might say, um, well, you know what? It's just God, God loves people. What did it cost God to love you? If you don't think this through, you don't understand the love of God. You don't understand how great God's love is. What did it cost God to hear your cries? What did it cost God to bear your burdens? What did it cost God? Man, God saw us. God saw us in our sins, and he redeemed us. Aren't you glad? Like, redeem. Is, um, have you ever done this? Like, hey, you can redeem this code. Um, uh, whenever we go down south, there's a, there's a, um, there's a store we go to. It's, it's a donut shop, right? Krispy Kremes. It's the anointed donut. Love me some Krispy Kremes. If you've never had a Krispy Kreme, I will give you a ticket to get to the nearest Krispy You can't have them in the city because over here they don't, they don't have the oven thing. And, and so Krispy Kremes, what happens is that the oven light comes on. They're literally coming out of the oven. They melt. The first time I went to Krispy, this is important to the Bible right now, right? <laughs> and so the first time I went to Krispy Kremes, I was in Florida. I was with some friends, and they go, hey, they turn. And I, I have this, like, thing, this aversion to spending money, right? Because I'm like, yo, I'm not going to spend money on nothing, and I don't have a sweet tooth. So they all, you know, I'm in the car. Everybody goes, yo, Krispy Kreme's light is on. They turn into Krispy Kreme's. And I'm walking, and there's a long line almost out the door. It's a huge line. And so I get on the line, and there's a woman. I said, she's crazy. She was giving out whole, not like a bite of a donut, like a little piece of a donut. She was giving out whole donuts. And I said, bueno, it's my lucky day. I don't even have to pay for this thing. So I just sashayed up. I said, thank you very much for this whole donut. Now you just spared me from having to buy my own donut. I took one bite. And I said, oh, I was like, oh, where have you been my whole life? It was awful. I bought a dozen donuts. It was terrible. It was terrible. Relapse, bad. Like, like I woke up in the middle of the night in the corner and Krispy Kreme going, what, what happened last night? What happened? It was awful. Hangover and everything, right? That's with my Krispy Kreme. Why did I share that? Because when I go to Krispy Kreme, 
When you buy a dozen donuts, they give you a set of coupons. And if you go back to those coupons, you get to redeem more donuts, right? And so now here's the deal. God has redeemed us. And God doesn't have a coupon to get me and you out of hell and into his grace. His coupon is the blood that Jesus shed on the cross for your sin. And so Jesus died on the cross so that you and I could cry and trust and wait and hope. So why wouldn't you just think about that? Think about that. Go, that's true. I am guilty, and it's true. I deserve the death penalty for what I did to my kids, for what I did to my spouse, for what I did to in, my, in my transaction with that person, for what I did. Like, it's true. All of it is true. The way, oh, I shouldn't have treated my family this way. Oh, I shouldn't have abandoned my children. Like, whatever you feel guilty about, I shouldn't have done it. And Jesus goes, you know what? It's worse than you think. It's so terrible. It deserves the death penalty. And then Jesus goes, I'll take the punishment. Because he redeems. They were looking forward to his redemption. We get to look back and see how the redemption played out. He redeems. He redeems. He redeems. Run to Jesus. Only God can get rid of your guilt. And how does God get rid of it? Or when God's getting rid of our guilt, God leads us to do what? He leads us, let's say this together. The first one is to cry out to the Lord. Secondly is to trust the Lord. Thirdly is wait on the Lord. And fourthly is to hope upon the Lord. So tomorrow, here's what you're going to do. In your prayer time, you're going to spend time with Jesus. And the first thing you're going to do is you're going to cry. You're going to tell him, this is the truth about me. No more excuses. No more excuses. I'm not going to deal with my guilt and shame by either acting like it doesn't exist or giving myself excuses. I'm not going to do that. Here's, here's the truth about me. I'm, I'm dirty. I'm grimy. That's who I am. Then you're going to go, but I trust you. I trust that you're able. Even out of my depths, I trust that you're able to address and deal with my sin. Then I'm going to wait God, I'm not running anywhere. I'm not, I'm not saying if you don't fix my broken heart in two days, then I'm out of here, or in two years, then I'm out of here, or in 20 years, I'm out of here. No, 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 God, it's on your timeline. You fix my broken heart. It's on you that I wait upon. And then finally, I'm going to hope, and my hope is secure, not because I'm good, because God sent his son to die on the cross for my sins. Let me ask you, are you too good for that? Uh, don't be.